One of my all-time favorite things uh, about doing anything for Kirby is his intros. That's what I live for, so you don't have to pay me. Just keep introing these places, and it really sets me up to really dive into the spiritual. Anyone else feel that? Come on. Come on. Well, like you said, I'm, I'm Luke. My wife is Jenna. Um, yeah, we're products of this district. Grew up here. We love it. We also identify as Minnesota South for sure. And so been in Urbandale, Iowa. It is a place. There is people there. It's not just corn, okay? So there is ministry happening down there. But <laughs> yeah, I uh, consider myself a missionary down there to the Iowans sent from the district. So pray for me. But uh, between, uh, between volunteering right after high school, being very involved in, in, uh, in high school and youth ministry, it's been you know, close to 15 years. Um, like Kirby said, it's, it'll be nine full-time uh, at Urbandale and planning for that to be a long time unless my mother-in-law has to say anything about it. Uh, my mother-in-law is Julie Philbeck, if you didn't know that. Jim and Julie are my amazing parents in love. But uh, I know, you're like, wow, what? I, I came to the wrong session. This is awkward, all right? So one, I'm, I'm really humbled to be able to share, um, and you'll kind of find today as I'm sharing um, that uh, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in ministry. I made like a lot of selfishness, sin, whatever, fill in the blank, and the Lord's so gracious. And uh, so the, the, the title alludes to the greatest thing I've ever learned in youth ministry um, and uh, I pray that today would be challenging to you and where you're at and that the Lord would speak. And so I believe talking about principles and then practical. So as I'll talk the principle of what I've learned and then we'll dive in some practicals and then I'll create some time. If you have Q&A, uh, great. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, we can talk or move on to dinner. But I know... Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I look back on ministry, especially diving headfirst right out of North Central. Like a lot of things I look back and go, ugh, that wouldn't fly today. Saying that or that event or that rec game or whatever, saying that from the pole, that would not fly today. I've made a lot of mistakes, like I said, in ministry. I'm humid, but um, there hasn't been, uh, the theme of today is, is the most humbling thing I've learned in ministry, the most humbling moment and. I would say the most humbling moment in ministry for me came, um, I had a group of students at my house. I used to do a Tuesday uh, night thing where it was like open door. I don't really care who, just come on in. And we used to have the craziness of craziness happen. Kids were on the roof and stuff was lighting on fire in the backyard. And we were just hanging and, and loving on teenagers. And uh, we were hanging out one time and I had mainly upperclassmen and uh, it was in the summer, so we specifically invited a lot of our graduates that were off at college or, or even in town, but just had graduated from the youth ministry over. And it kind of, the night had simmered down, and so all the younger kids had left, and we were hanging out. And I just asked them, this was, I think I was three years in, four years in in ministry, and I just asked them, hey, what, uh, you know, let's talk through what's been like the most impactful thing for you. Can you remember the most impactful moments being at NHU, that New Hope, what's been some impactful things? And can I be real with you? I asked that question out of pure pride and selfishness. 
I did. I remember it to this day. I asked it, and I thought to myself, sweet, I'm going to hear about my good sermon. I'm going to hear about that moment that I came and the Lord spoke through me. I'm going to hear about that time that I sacrificed that to go see you there, or I did this. It was totally a prideful question, 100%, undeniably prideful. I didn't actually want to hear, like, and so we go around, and these kids, one by one, believe it or not, has nothing to do with me. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> they don't even say my name, Kirby. It's like, I was there. I was there. I'm, I'm expecting a quote. I'm expe- like I said, it had nothing to do with me and everything. Man, the, the stories these kids shared about God meeting them, them experiencing their Savior, them experiencing life change at that moment or that altar or that event, and nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. And I tell you what, the Lord has a very good way, effective way of humbling you. And he spoke to me. It almost was like the room went on pause for me. And I just had a moment with Jesus. And he said, it's never been about you, man. And he said, actually, if you get out of the way, it allows me to move more. Very humbling. Talk about humbling. He continued. I said, Lord, it's enough. But he continued. He said, I actually don't need you. I don't need you. These are my kids. I love them more than anybody. It's my work. I said, it is your work, Lord. <laughs> All right, I relent. Just stop. Just stop. And I realized there needed to be a shift. Not that I got into ministry for me. Not that I was preaching for me. But subconsciously, you know, we can get a little bit prideful in ministry. I love the feedback. I don't do it for the feedback, but it's nice to hear you're doing a good job. It's nice to hear that sermon was impactful. I think deep down you want to hear that you're making an impact. It's not always this selfish, oh, everyone's walking around with pride. But when it came down to it for me in that season of my life, I had built a ministry based on me and not on God. And that sounds like heresy. And it's like, of course I would never do that intentionally. And I hope everyone in the room would say, no, I'm not in ministry in any capacity to build it for me. But I think how we are building services, it's for us rather than for God or even for our students. And I'll explain that when we get into practicals. But, you know, ministry is not, it doesn't depend on me. It's not because of me. It's certainly not for me. And yet I was building a ministry on those things that was based upon my preaching, it was based upon my relationship with the students. It was based upon my wisdom, my sacrifices on behalf of them, my charisma, my events that we were putting on. And, you know, I, I know you would say today, well, duh, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. But so often we can become the hero of the story. We can become the hero of the youth ministry. We can become the hero or try to become the hero of these kids' lives when we're not. And we can't be. And we can't be. The Lord continued to humble me in that moment as he revealed many, many students, small groups, kids that I had for years in ministry, showed me their faces and reminded me of their current reality at the moment. And still to this day, a lot of them, they're not just far from the Lord. They're like, like don't want anything to do with church or the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me like, and it wasn't like this, it was like a father moment. It wasn't like God was just trying to slap me around and beat me up. But he revealed this to me 
And he spoke to me, you're not the cause of this. There's many things. Like, I'm not saying I'm the cause of kids not serving Jesus. I'm not saying that. But he revealed that to me. He said, man, a lot of these kids you had breakthroughs with, you had powerful moments with, you saw them serve, you saw them lead, you saw them lead others to Christ, and they left you, and then they left me. Why? Because they were dependent on me to get to God. I did not build them. I did not train them. I did not, I, I did not get out of the way to say, he is your source. Now, once again, I'm not saying I just like have the secret agenda where I want to be God for them, but that's how I was building. That's how I was building ministry. That's how I was building these students. I didn't teach them to go to him first, to go to what he wanted, to go to the source to drink, to how to, how to, to, to meet him personally and not think I'm in crisis, let's pray about it. I'm in crisis, let's see what the Bible says about this, but it was, where's, my, where's Pastor Luke? I need him, and if he's not gonna answer that call, if he's not gonna be there for me, then God wasn't there for me. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem in ministry. And uh, let me illustrate this further. There was, in the 1400s, as the church began to grow, um, the Bible was translated in Latin. It was in Latin, and that was uh, not the language, the current common language of the time. And the Bible actually um, was unreadable to the majority of people in that time. Unreadable. They couldn't even read it. They actually couldn't even have it because they weren't wealthy enough to purchase it. And so the Bibles were in the churches or they were with the wealthy. And the only people that could actually read the Bible were the priests or the clergy. And it created a necessity and a dependence on people to get to God. And it created, I believe, generations of belief systems that I need a person or a service to meet my creator. Then the second that person or that service is removed from my life, no longer do I get to hear from my creator because I don't know how. That's the ministry I was building. These kids would leave and they're not on a regular basis of me reaching out. They're not on a regular Wednesday night rotation. They don't have a worship team. How am I supposed to feel the presence of God without a worship team? Without the pad of C, you know what I'm saying? Playing in the background. That's what the kids. And that's what I created for a lot of students. And that's, humble, that's a humbling reality. Something had to shift for us in our ministry. I say us, we had a middle school pastor, Pastor Zach, still middle school pastor with me. And uh, we, had to sh- we had to shift something for them, in them, how we did things, who we were, who we were trying to be, our goals. And, you know, I've heard it said that, that a part of your goal as a pastor, right, is to feed the sheep. Absolutely, it's biblical. But I think the greater goal is to make them hungry. To make them hungry. That I shouldn't be the source of that. My preaching shouldn't be like the main wisdom that they hear for the week. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the final word at all. 
That, that's God's word. How did this look for us at that time? For me, our, our, our Wednesday nights were centered around my preaching, huh? <laughs> it was centered around the message. There was scheduled out and it was prioritized. We gotta get the word out, we gotta preach. And we had games and we had some other stuff and, and, and everything else could be cut out, including altar time, but the message couldn't. We needed to get that through. And I'm like every other pastor, practically, a little long-winded, okay? And so there would be many, a many a Wednesdays, Kirby, that we had scheduled 10 minutes of altar to meet with the creator God of the universe who died for our sins, and Pastor Luke wouldn't shut up. Next thing you know, it's 8 o'clock, kids, are knock, or kids' parents are knocking at the door, and it's like, just go pray later. You know, we love you. Come back next week. There was no, we didn't create opportunity for them to meet with their creator, with them to meet with their source of everything. Like I said, the main meat of, of, of them getting stuff was just a sermon. It was just a sermon. So when these kids were in these moments of crisis or struggle or doubt, if the sermon didn't line up with it, then too bad. Got to deal with it. And we were preaching too much, too long, and that was the goal and the focus. And just creating a bunch of kids that would come in and consume and spectate and leave. Maybe after a crazy game, <laughs> but not much else. That was the ministry we were creating. And so here's the deal. If, if, if God's the central power, if he's, the, if he's the greatest work, the greatest ability, if he's the real one that can save our students, if he's the real one that can do a heart change greater than any word of wisdom, any support system, if, he, if his Holy Spirit can do something so much deeper than I could never accomplish in a whole lifetime, a full-time ministry, shouldn't my whole focus be allowing him to move and speak? Shouldn't my whole focus in ministry as a pastor, not just as a youth pastor, my whole focus should be how am I going to let the Lord move? Not how I'm going to plan the service, but rather how am I going to prepare for the Lord to move? You see that? You cannot plan the Lord moving, but you can prepare for him to move. You can prepare. You can't just be like, all right, God, two minutes left. We need you here. But I can prepare the service, I can prepare the student, I can prepare our leadership for when God wants to move, he's going to move. But I don't want to limit him. I think it's kind of fitting, if you heard Sean's message last night, same type of thing. The Holy Spirit does the work. My, if you think about it, our sermons, what we're preaching, they're just intros. They're the set up. Get them to the opportunity because then, oh, God's about to move with you. God's about to touch your life. Because I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of pretty amazing sermons, but none of them have been life-changing. I haven't sat and listened to someone and then things changed for me or addictions broke in me or identities were restored in me. But it led me to a place where I ran after Jesus that's why I pray even to this day, and I don't say this as, as prideful, I say this as being humbled, that I say, Lord, I'm just a vessel, 
get me out of your way. Get me out of your way. Lord, let the students hear you and not me tonight. I had a goal subconsciously that after a Wednesday, I would love for the students to come up and be like, man, when you said this, it was awesome. That shifted in me. My goal is not to, when we leave something, to say Luke was awesome. My goal is Jesus was so good to me tonight. God spoke this to me, Pastor Luke, crazy. I don't want it to be about me because I can't change anybody. I'm not the impact. I don't save anybody. I love this. In Matthew 9, it says, Then he said to the disciples, His harvest, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into Luke's harvest, into his harvest. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But... It was the awesome, alliterated, three-point message from Pastor Luke that made it grow. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planning. That's humbling. It is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Absolutely. I'm not downplaying we have to throw seeds. It's important that you show up. It's important that you're there. It's important that you're serving and you're going above and beyond and the excellence and the planning. I'm not downplaying those are important because those are seeds. But at the end of the day, I am not the one that grows the seed. I am not. And when I start trying to be, I, I'm, I'm hindering God. I'm taking away from students and I'm putting a burden on myself in ministry that will crush me. That will crush me. It says he is the Lord of the harvest. Later it says God brings the increase. In fact, in ministry, I, I, I'm not even fully making a plan. I'm just getting on board with how he's already moving. The praying for God, what's next, isn't me creating a plan. It's God, Lord, re reveal to me where your plan is. You know what I'm saying? There's a shift in that in a mindset that's really powerful. It's his plans. It's his goals it's his work it's his word and I just have to follow here's the deal in your ministry context whether it's full-time part-time volunteer whether it's youth ministry or you've stumbled in here for some reason and it's a different place in your ministry context let me challenge you with this how you prepare for something tells me who you depend on how you prepare for something tells me who you depend on. The best preparation that we can do is prayer. Because what does that say in scream? Lord, I can't do this without you. There is nothing I can really do for these or offer these kids. I am nobody. I am not the God of the increase. This is not my harvest. Lord, we need you to move. We need you to move. I found myself in the Lord just, he's got a good way of humbling me, Kirby. Maybe I have a big head, I don't know. He's got a good way but even how much I pray, it shows me who my trust is in. If I'm preparing or planning 
the physical things of my service longer, or I wouldn't say, because sometimes, obviously, it takes longer to set up Gaga Ball, but if I am the premise to talk about the principle of this, if I, if I am planning more than I am praying, I trust in me more than I trust in him. And I'm, like, as pastors or as, as people of God, we're not walking around saying I, I'm greater than God, I'm this and that, but that's, that's what I'm doing. God challenged me with this, and, and I wrote it down because it was so clear in my mind. If I prayed as much as I planned or prepared in ministry, how much more impact would I be having? He said, what if you prayed for revival as much as you preached about it? Convicting. And that, like I said, just being vulnerable. There's been so many times in ministry where the crazy happens and you just, whatever. And then I would kind of wake up from the crazy and it's five minutes before service and I'm like, wow, I haven't read one verse of scripture in days other than preparing my sermon. I, I haven't spent more than five minutes of prayer and that was just like to catch my breath in the lobby before the kids come. That was screaming I trust in me. I trust in me that I'm the God of the harvest. I love Dick Brogdon says, prayer doesn't just lead to the greater work, but prayer is the greater work. I'm gonna say it again. Prayer doesn't just lead to the greater work, but prayer is the greater work. Richard Foster, if you know him, read his stuff. He's incredible, spiritual disciplines. He says, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. We'll desire far more than is within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of truly loving others. For what I want for them, the life change, the impact, the calling, the identity, the, the breaking of change, if that's what I really want for my students, it's not gonna lead me to being that greater game or picking the right snack, you know what I'm saying, or even just showing up at that, it's going to lead me to prayer. Because I say, God, you got to do what I cannot do. You have to accomplish what I cannot accomplish. And, and, and getting out of the way in ministry, if, that, if I could sum this up, getting out of the way is the phrase that I will never forget in ministry. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. It, it, it just opens the door more for more things that God can do, and it just, you know what? It puts me in a pretty awesome place in ministry where I go, I'm just glad to be here. I'm just glad that the Lord would have enough mercy and grace to give me a microphone. I'm just glad to be in the room. I'm just glad that the Lord would choose me to just steward a little bit, to just create opportunities for him to truly move and the Holy Spirit to move and get kids ready for it and hungry for it. This builds so much confidence in you when you start to realize this in ministry, that it's not about you. Then you really start getting to do ministry. Then it starts to get really fun. You know what also it helps? When you, when you get out of the way, when you have that mindset, you don't get as hurt from people. You don't get as offended that that kid's not here or this happened or I can't believe you did that again. 
You're back with that guy? Really? Did you even listen to what I, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 when I, when I, I, it was like carrying around a ball of anxiety for the kids. Like I just like take that on. And when this, when it shifted for me and shifted this, like it's not that you don't care. You still really care, but you recognize they're in God's hands. They're in the Lord's hands. He is their father. I am not. He, 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 I'm, he's trustworthy. I just show up with everything that I have, and God does the rest. I just show up. Yes, I prepare. Yes, I plan. Once again, I'm not neglecting that. Let's not just like what they used to call them the Quaker services at, if, at North Central. If you don't know what that is, they just put a microphone at the front, and they're like, let's have service. I'm not saying that. Maybe that works for you. I don't know. Not for me. That's scary, especially with middle schoolers in the room. Lord, help us. Whew. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the pressure isn't on me. The pressure's not on you. Let's do some practicals quick, okay? Principle out. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. The Lord wants to do something so much more powerful, so much greater, okay? Here's some practicals that we do in our ministry. We're not perfect, but it's been really fun since the shift. You know, so now it's been probably over five years that we've shifted that. And to see what God is doing is uh is humbling because it's like wow god you really don't need me you know so here's some practicals all right no matter the topic of the message no matter the topic of the message we always have altar time even if it doesn't really make sense or fit we open the altars and we challenge kids to come we could be talking about we're, we're about to go into a three-week series on the holy spirit right after that we go into our uh, our annual All the Feels series. We do it right before summer. Why? Because as the heat comes up, the clothes come off. Okay? So we do it right before summer. We're going to be talking about just relationships or pure whatever. The altars will be open. We're doing some panel stuff. We're doing some small, some small group discussion stuff in service. Guess what happens at the end of service? Hey, I know you've just been all scattered and sitting in small group. Why don't you stand up? Because the God who died for you is in the room. It does not matter. We will always have altar time because that's the most important part of our service. We will always create time and space for God to speak. We will always do this. It's the exact opposite where it was like, yes, it's a priority, but then the end of service would come and we never had altar. It's like, oh. You know the first thing was to go for us? Games. And that scared me a little bit because I was like, man, I don't want to be a church that's just like, welcome, welcome, to, uh, welcome to New Hope. Now let's get serious, because God's here. That's not what I'm saying. We create space before service and after service that we party hard. I promise you. We party hard at New, at New Hope. But in service, the games went. We stopped doing games. I got nervous, because I'm like, man, what if kids, you know, stop coming? You know what they're coming for anyways? Some of them don't realize it, but you know what keeps them coming back is the power of God. A love like no other. Not your sermon, not that awesome game, not watching that kid drink a pop through a sock. That's not keeping the kids coming back. It's not the giveaway. The power of God will keep them coming back. And so we, we, we cut that 
and we switched, which I'll talk a little bit more in one of my future sessions about like our small group model, whatever. Uh, we do small groups on the front side, and then we do worship, message, and, and the altar time is like, I don't care what happens in service if we're running behind, that time does not diminish. That time does not diminish. I will cut a middle of a worship song. I will go up there and be like, yeah, we're done. Let's move to the next thing because we got to get to altar time. I, we have to prioritize that. We have to prioritize that because kids, and, and we'll talk about this in a Gen Z session, they need a display of the power of God. So do parents. So do our churches. And I will say I'm proud of my church as a whole. New Hope, they do the same thing. They will not neglect the altar. Does not matter what we're talking about. Get down to the altar. That's what we do on our Sundays. That's, that's what I learned from my pastor. He's crazy, but he's awesome. If you know him, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we, we recognize all the time we, we are consistently looking and flexible. Okay, Lord, are you moving? How are you moving in this? Just a few weeks ago, it, it, it was... It, it, it was more than a few weeks ago, but it was like, wow, we feel like the Lord's really moving in worship. Guess what? Let's go. Altar time. We actually intentionally, we do, we do uh, in the middle of altar, or in the middle of worship, we have somebody come up, and it's every week for us, that we get up there and say, hey, we want to pray for some needs right now. We want to pray for some needs. Sometimes it's focused. Maybe it's a mental health. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's whatever. We kind of try to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But we always have time, even in worship, where it's like, hey, if you need prayer right now, raise your hand. Kids, if you're around them, start praying. Because kids keep coming back because they go, wow, the Lord answered my prayer. But if I, help, I don't create space for that, for them to cry out to God, like, I'm not saying God isn't good and he doesn't still care, but I think it shows often in scripture and we can agree that our prayers have impact and prayers that aren't spoken and aren't prayed. You know what I'm saying? So we create that on the, even in, in, in worship. We, we do that consistently. Um, here's another thing. It's kind of controversial, but maybe not. We, for altar, when we do altar calls, we do not have students respond to leaders. We do not bring the leaders up first. There is, there is select services we do, okay, because it just is fitting kind of where it goes. But I would say 99% of the time, my wife can attest to this, we do not have the leaders come down first and then you respond to a leader. Why? Because I don't want to create a culture that students are responding to leaders instead of God. Do our leaders have major impact spiritually? And they're praying, yes, but we train our leaders that the students always run to Jesus and then our leaders strategically follow and pray. And there are certain times they come in front and say, what can I specifically pray about? But students in our ministry will always respond to Jesus and then our leaders either vocalized again from the front, but our culture, they know it. Once the students come down, then I get to go down. They're not responding to me because we, once again, I don't want to create a student because I did this. I did this, that I was so excited to get down to the front and I would have a line of students that were dependent on me. But the second they graduated, they didn't have an altar time with Pastor Luke anymore. And that kills me to this day that I took that from the Lord. I took that from them. 
So we, we just don't. And that's strategic. And we did, it took a lot of training. It took some humbling for some of our leaders because there's a culture of that. So I'm not saying responding to a leader is bad. I'm not because our leaders go. Our leaders chase after these kids and they have amazing moments. But it screams to our kids, we will always run to Jesus. No matter if you're here in this room or in your bedroom, you can run to Jesus, okay? Once our leaders come down and pray, we train our leaders couple things in how they do altar. We train our leaders that they say, what is God speaking to you? And they, they, they might share something. What do you think God has said about that? Does he, say, does he talk about that in scripture? Have you prayed about that yet? Our leaders are constantly pointing, and some of them better than others, our leaders are constantly pointing with these conversations at the altar or counseling sessions. They're always pointing up. What is God? Have you read in the Bible? You know what I'm saying? They're always pointing up. Does that mean we don't give them free reign in the Holy Spirit to give wisdom? Absolutely. They, absolutely. But first and foremost, they know. Even when they come down and pray with a student, if a student asks for prayer for something, you know what we tell our leaders to do? Have the student pray first for themselves, and then you can pray over them. It's, it's, it's really uncomfortable sometimes because kids literally cannot pray for themselves out loud. It's actually sad. It's crazy. But the leader will say, man, I'm here for you. Let's pray. First, why don't you pray? You talk to God because he hears you. It's been a pretty amazing shift that we see students and just those a couple little things. And we're not perfect at it. Not at all. But at least our, our principle of that is like, dude, we will always point to Jesus first. Always, always, always. Once we do that, they can, we tell our leaders, you can, you can give wisdom, whatever, obviously biblical, hopefully biblical, uh, hopefully led by the Spirit, you know, operate in those gifts, whatever. But then we tell them, we, our leaders know this, go after they pray. All right, all right, Johnny, please, please, right after this, God's not done with you yet. Go find a spot in this room before you leave. He wants to speak to you. Hey, 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 if you have to go, I, I, I get the time. I see your mom out there. If you got to run, hey, please, before you go to bed. Please, would you, would you just meet? And they're always pushing them. Like, like it screams, it doesn't just happen in a church building. At an altar, you can have an altar moment wherever you're at. Run to Jesus. That's what he screams, okay? So then we tell our leaders to follow up. Be strategic with altar follow-up and their questions. And I have them down here because we do this with our leaders. What, has been, what, what did God speak to you last night? Wow, I saw you respond to the altar what happened? What did God do? What did God say? What did God heal? What did, they're, they're just, even in our follow-up, it's always vertical. Always vertical. The, uh, my first session, shameless plug, my first session of tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about how we just really focus, and this goes hand in hand, really focused our ministry deep versus wide. We started trying to do very wide, and we shifted that o o over the years. But a part of that process and part of the process we do is we focus so much on follow of equipping them to go home, equipping them to read their Bible. Not just, you should be reading your Bible, you should be praying. But how? Most students want to do these things. They don't know how. And so we focused on that how. If we got to break this down, we're not just giving kids devotionals. They're just reading a secondhand word. We're teaching them how to get a first-person word with God, Okay. And I'll talk about that tomorrow, of how we do that specifically. How to read the Bible, how to hear God's voice, how to pray, all these things. 
We just finished a whole sermon series, this 11-week sermon series in our, in our youth ministry on the spiritual disciplines. And we got deep and we got practical. And you know what? If a visitor walked in, they were like, whoa, okay, here we go. But we still have crazy amounts of students coming to Jesus for the first time. Because we are just, we're focused on like, let's meet them. You know, I, I, I just, I'm just done. If you know me, I'm just done with the hype. I'm just done with the entertainment. I've been there. We've thrown some awesome parties and had hundreds of kids come to outreaches and have zero return on that. It just doesn't, it's just, and I'll talk more about it, but it's not working. We need to do something different in ministry. And a lot of it is getting out of the way. Getting out of the way, okay? Breaking down these things uh, relationally, how we do small groups, they get weekly small groups. There's multiple multiple leaders per graded uh, and gendered small groups. And that was strategic for us, that the small group leader is the main contact for the students, not the pastor. You're like, wait, you don't text any kids? I text hundreds of kids, okay? But the reoccurring regular is multiple God-fearing, loving, supportive adults. So they are not connected to some character or some charisma or a person, they have multi, it's, you know what I'm saying? Because we've had that in ministry. I've seen that in ministry where kids are just connected to you. Once again, what happens when you are not there? Or that small group leader is not there any longer. So we do that intentionally about the follow-up and, and thinking through that. Let's get more voices, more different people speaking that, speaking that over them. I'm going to ask some questions that are rhetorical. And then maybe some Q&A. Is that cool? Because we got to end at what? 5.30? Oh, I thought you said 3 in the morning. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on, Kevin. <laughs> Always an altar, Kevin. Okay, sorry. Come on, hype. Um, let me ask you this rhetorically. What is the central element of your service? What for you is like a sacred cow? That can't go. We gotta, we gotta have this done. If this isn't, good, I don't know if I feel good. And is that God speaking? Because it should be. Okay. Can you be gone, and things run, and students still encounter and hear God? Can you be gone on a Wednesday, and it might look a little crazy? I understand that, but will students have the expectation that I'm going to hear God tonight, even if their favorite preacher is not there challenging what is the greatest priority for you in ministry is it planning or is it praying is it planning or praying these are questions that the lord has spoken to me and asked me (laughs) so if you if you just like what like i said whatever season whatever context if you can always remember that Lord, get me out of the way, and how do I create an atmosphere for you? I promise you, I promise you, you will start to see God move more. You will, because you're just giving him more opportunity, right? So I don't have anything else. That's it. (laughs) Does anyone have any questions? Sorry. And I apologize if that was more of a sermon than a breakout, but here we go. Yes. Sorry. 
Yep, yep, let me pull it up in my notes. List of things that we kind of have leaders ask students as they respond, okay? And I, you just have Rachel connect me or something. I can give notes to share notes or whatever, whatever we're going to do, okay? Um, we have our leaders ask what, like if it's a specific thing that they're saying, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. What does God say about that? And then what is God saying about that? What is God speaking to you about that? Or if it's more just general, whatever, they come down, you come down, uh, it would be like, what is God speaking to you right now? Or what has he spoken? Like, what, it, what, is, what has he done in this service tonight? Like, why is he speaking? What is he speaking? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? What does the Bible say about that? Um, and then in general, follow-up. You know, what, what has God been doing in your life? So first, I didn't say this, but for small groups, we give them, they're at the front end of our service, and we give them strategic questions that are more of a template than like small group leaders, you gotta help. But we give them a template of questions that help the students start to think about the topics we're about to talk about. So it's just these kind of intro questions, open-ended discussion, whatever, but we always ask every small group, we ask at the beginning, what has God been doing in your life? What do you want him to do in your life? Always pointing that to him. What has he, what has he been doing? Opportunities for testimonies, but also, hey, what do, you, what do you want God to do in your life? Pointing to him. Does that answer your question? Okay. Um, yeah, I saw your hand first. You and me both. Thank you for sharing that. Someone else? Yeah, quick. Great question. We have. We've tried small groups everywhere. We've tried we've tried the the back when kind of the River Valley shift. I talked with Terry and he was talking about just doing only small groups. We tried that too. So we've we tried it all. The thing the we 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 found uh, small groups at the end, um, the same type of thing we were prioritizing. We're like, man, we need these kids to have FaceTime with each other and their leaders, and it was cutting into altar. So what we do now is at 6.30 is when we start. We get an hour and a half. I would, I would give half my salary for another half an hour. I just would. I would. But that's how the rest of the church goes. So we, um, we found at the end it was like one Sometimes it was awkward, like coming from these emotional, you know, altar moments, and you're like, hey, get together with a bunch of people, and let's sit down, and 
and talk, you know. Sometimes it was beneficial because it was like a debrief, and we do that actually strategically through different sermon series. Of we'll have them gather at the end and just like, hey, let, like just let's just talk about this. This is heavy, you know, or whatever strategically. But what we found is, yeah, I was cutting into altar. It was kind of awkward transitionally, and then a lot of kids, just plain and simple, would just leave. They're just like, I don't want to go smaller. <laughs> That's stupid, <laughs> you know. I want to leave. I want to go to the gym, you know. So we just would leave. So we we I. I want to say, oh man, my wife could help me on this timeline, but it's been a couple years that we switched to the front end. So at 6.30, we, we kick off small groups. Um, we have, um, we're blessed with, with our facilities and our leaders, but we have graded small groups, gendered and graded. So every, like the ninth grade girls have a small group. The ninth grade guys have a small group. And if those small groups get too big, we break them down. And if we have enough leaders, we break them down even that. So there's a couple of grades that have multiple small groups of that. They meet consistently in the same location. They have the same leaders and like that. And uh, um, we have found such amazing conversations uh, because we just are trying to be strategic, like I said, with the questions. So we're going into a Holy Spirit series, and it's really cool to, to just ask very open-ended, discussion-based questions on, because you get all range of students. We got the kid that's literally walking in high, and the kid that's in the homeschool network, you know, and he's been to church. So you just get, it's really fun when you put them all in the same group and just kind of let it go. But um, to ask those open-ended questions, say, what do you guys think about this? What's been your experience? Kind of those just really open-ended because it gets them talking about it. Or we'll, we'll intentionally ask. We'll play devil's advocate and we'll just throw the, just the worst questions in there of like, you know, totally playing the other side. Just to, see, just to get discussion going. To, to kind of, it kind of gets their hearts a little bit. They're already chewing. They're already mulling on what we're about to talk about. And we've told our leaders that our goal for small groups isn't, it's not, it's, it's ministry, but it's not like we're trying to get you knowledge or whatever. It's mainly relational. Half the small groups are doing a fight club downstairs. That's the middle school boys right now. I walked, I walked by and did a double take because there was two boys wrestling on the ground, and all the kids were around them, and two of my leaders were like, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, what is happening? They're like, well, it's okay. It, it's actually a bracket of kids fighting, so it's, it's organized. I said, oh, Lord. Jesus, it's, it's Josh Patterson's small group. That's my brother right there, so yes, Lord help us, but does that answer for you a little bit? Yes, so we do, we do small groups for 20, oh, what time, 20 to 25 minutes, then we go into altar, message, or sorry, mess, worship, message, altar. Sixth grade. No, so if we... And it, based on the commitment of a leader, but we, we, when we ask people to be leaders or they're interested, if, if we see fit that it's, small, it's like middle school for them, we ask them to commit three years to be in the same small group. So that they get, psh, 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 and then if they're high school, we ask them to commit, you know, and they may jump in, like, because, right, it just doesn't always fit that way. We, they may jump in as a junior class, but then we come, as they come back around, we ask, hey, are you still wanting to lead? Can you commit to this? Not everyone can, and some of them say yes, and they only do one, whatever, but yeah, they stick with their group as they, as they grow through middle school and then through graduating. Yeah. Uh, so, how have you guys been able to address uh, a small group worship message? Mm-hmm.
<laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. We, we turn the worship pad up really loud. I mean, honestly. So what I didn't say in, in, in here, a part of like strategic wise, most of the altar calls we have don't have a worship team. It literally is just a, a, a Spotify, William Augusto, anyone? Hello, Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, okay? If you don't know, look him up. It's literally just like a, like a pad in the background. So there's some atmosphere, and we do that. Like I said, we actually turn that sucker way up. Because if, even if there's like, like conversations happening or whatever, we have a ton of kids that sit in the back and just. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we um, like I said, depending on the specific call for altar, but our kids know and we've kind of created a culture where we say the room. You respond to the room unless you need to have prayer. Or they're strategic of like, I want to make a commitment. I'm stepping on faith. I'll come down front. But our kids know, like, I get the room to have with Jesus. And so it's kind of cool. We have kids on their face weeping in the back, and the next row in front of them is two dinguses fighting. You know, like, whatever. You're in the presence of God, and I'll keep praying. And then we, when, we, when, we, when our time is kind of hit, we say, hey, thanks for coming. We love you. Game room's downstairs. Jim's across the street. The little coffee area's got some food. Get out of here. We're, ma- we're keeping this a place. And kids linger. And so, um, you know, we kind of, we have had some, like, major distractions where kids are, oh, what was the other day? I don't know. They found some furniture dolly, and there was a race going on or something. We have structure. We have set chaperones, I promise you. A lot of stuff. Is like, I don't care. I don't know. The Lord's going to move anyways, right, Curb? So, honestly... I'll go, if I, we train our leaders, if they're being super disruptive during the message or during altar, we have our leaders say, and almost word for word, hey, hey, if it's okay if, you, if you're not really wanting to respond to Jesus and, and how he's speaking, but he's speaking that goes around you, could you just not take that away from them? Could you just not take that away from them? And we kind of put it on that way. That's the ultra guilt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anyone else? I don't know what time we have to end, so Rachel just flagged me down or slapped me. Yes. I do. So I would say for us, I wish I could look back and say, man, it just was a culture change immediately. Like, man, the kids loved, you know, scheduled altar time for longer than they've ever had. 
The kids love not playing games on the front end. The kids love us not giving away as many things. I wish that was the case for us. So it was a culture change for us too. And sometimes the ship moves slow, but um, it's worth it. It's worth it. And, and I kind of think of, you know, an illustration pops in my head. Obviously, like if you have any kids, um, you know, you, you want to cater to that kid uh, and their needs. And if they're a little more, you know, needy or this or whatever. But I've always heard good parenting is they'll adjust to your schedule. You set the schedule and they'll follow. And it might take them a little while. It might be some tantrums or pushback, but you create and you set the schedule. The same with teenagers, the same thing. And so what we do intentionally to not get in a rut or, or a same rhythm like that is we have, um, we do once, once a month or once every six weeks. We call it an every one night. No small groups. It's super evangelistic. It's, it's a big speaker and big altar. No small groups, no nothing. There might be a giveaway that night. Or, or, or some element of service that's a little fun. We'll do something post-service that's fun, a takeover, dodgeball, something that's once every month or six weeks, come every one nights, and they're just different. They're way more hype. We, we throw a little bit more fog in there, if you know what I mean. It's just different. We also have a rotation. We need to get back to this because uh, it's been a crazy couple months with, with stuff. But we, al- we also have a rotation of around once a month where we do acoustic worship. And it's not as dark in the room, and the lights aren't moving as much. You know this. We, we started this back when Kenzie was in my youth ministry. You know what I'm saying? Even in the basement. Oh, Lord help us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Totally. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a prayerful conversation. Are you, my wife's wanting to share something? For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. And we, to build off that, we, like I said, it's very strategic how we mix it up for kids because, yeah, a routine, 
I find a lot of kids, and I've heard it said like this, a lot of kids have a routine with Jesus and not a relationship with him. They have a Wednesday, they have a Sunday, they have whatever, they have a service, and uh, I don't want that. I don't want that. So we mix it up because we want to show them, hey, you can experience Jesus without a fog machine and lights shining your face. And just an acoustic guitar up there, you can experience Jesus with that. We mix it up. We throw in these small group nights too where where we we gather together and in the giant room, they break into their small groups and we'll go to front and I'll sit in a stool or one of the other pastors will sit in a stool and we just talk for a a couple minutes and then we have questions and they talk in their group and that's all service. That's it. That's all we do. And then we have some altar time. I promise you that. We do. We pray. 